Are you ready this morning? Man, I am too. And I know that uh, normally right now I would give opportunity for you to be faithful with your first and your best, with your tithe and your offering. But we're going to do that at, at the end today because I really want to jump into this word because in light of what Holy Spirit has already done in this room today, um, I want to follow that up with what he put in my heart because I really believe, again, be changed by that. And, um, you know, last week we talked about revival. Let me say something about this. I, I said last week in uh, teaching and talking, I said at some point, I don't remember when I said it, but I said, you know what, what I really want to do, and I've considered this for a long time, and just haven't done it. In fact, I might have mentioned it even to you in times past, but that was that I wanted to have a meeting right here at the Rock of Central Florida, and then I was going to be the guest speaker, and I was just going to teach. And, um, and that's been in me for a long time, and I told my wife, because if those of you that don't know me uh, might not know that for years, a number of years, uh, well, I traveled before we met. I was evangelizing different churches before Kim and I met. Then when we met, uh, she joined me and going wherever we went, uh, wherever we were allowed, wherever we were called. And when I say called, um, don't assume that that meant by God. Uh, sometimes that was preachers that would call. And uh, we trusted that they heard God. Um, but I can tell you that in that time, there's things about that that really I have reflections of times in those seasons that were, were profound to me. I'm going to do something. I guess what I'm getting at is this. I'm going to do something on May the 1st through the 4th. 4th. You'll hear more about it soon. But I just this morning when I woke up, I was excited in my spirit, and I, and I believe that this is the time and the season, and we're going to have a meeting right here at The Rock, May Sunday through Wednesday night, May 1st through 4th, called Under the Oaks for the whole house. It's going to be Sunday night, Monday night, Tuesday night, and Wednesday night, and I hope that the seven of you that just shouted will come. And um, there is no imposition on anybody, but what there is is an invitation. I'm extending to you an invitation. It's not going to be like uh, the meetings of the past. There's some things that he's already this morning uh, been speaking to me in regards to this, and I am very, very excited about this. It will be uh, Sunday through Wednesday, May the 1st through the 4th, every night. I would invite you to, we will be sending letters out to the churches in the area. Um, will they come? Who knows? But we will be sending letters out to them, inviting them to come. I believe that what God wants to do is um, more than simply talking about it, but actually going in and doing something. And sometimes doing is more important than only waiting. And uh, we can wait and wait and wait and wait and wait for a perfect opportunity. I, I appreciate when Kim and I were, when I was going to propose to my wife, I couldn't afford it, man. I couldn't, I couldn't afford anything. In fact, I went in debt buying her roses for our first date. And um, couldn't afford anything, couldn't do anything. And I just knew that when it was time in my heart, I believed that God was saying, this is the time I want you to propose to her. It's time to join you two together as one. And I couldn't afford it. And I went to, don't do what I did because I did it, by the way, before I say any of this. Don't anybody just jump in there and say, hey. You know. um, but I went to my pastor at the time and I said, you know, I know this is in my heart. And um, I want to propose to her, but man, I can't afford it. 
And um, when I sit here and I calculate and tabulate the, the income, the expense, and, and the, the negative number at the end of every month already, and I'm on my own, and then I take on somebody else. And, and he said to me what I thought was profoundly wise at the time. He said, if you wait till you can afford it, you never will be married. And, um, man, I walked out of there with a smile on my face and called her daddy and said, I want to marry your daughter. I can't afford it, but I really want to marry her. And... Um, and he was all for it and, and in agreement. And uh, so, you know, I can tell you today that we can wait and wait and wait, but if we don't step in, what might we miss? And I can tell you being married to my wife for over 30 years has been the joy of my life. And being married to her and raising our three children and now our grandbaby is coming. And, uh, but, uh, you know, it is it is... The joy of my life has been married to her. Has it always been blissful? No, there's been a few days I would describe as anything other than blissful. But the majority of our married life has been one of absolute profound joy and life and blessing. And I can tell you when, when God wants to do something, if we will submit to his doing and his desire about the doing, man, it gives a whole different perspective and you can plow through anything. Can somebody say amen? Amen. So I'm going to do this meeting, and I know what it's not going to be like you might be thinking in your mind. It's not going to be like an old-fashioned revival meeting, although it would be cool to put a tent up out there and just to re, uh, kind of go back in the past a little bit, but we're not going to do that. That I know, of course, everybody's saying we're in Florida, and you're talking about May. And um, I understand. So... That's coming, so mark that down. We'll be giving more information to come on that. Will I be the only person doing the speaking during that meeting? I don't know. I just know what's in my heart, and I know that if I announce it, I'm committed to following through with what he's put in my heart. Fair enough? Now I'm committed. It's, it's sort of like the time my wife and I, we lived in our first house, and we had a, our master bedroom did not have a door between the bedroom and the bathroom. It was wide open. It was just an opening. And... And I didn't like that because I would get up in the morning and I would have to go to the office or go to work and, and uh, I'd turn the light on she'd wake up. That's back before she got up at 3 o'clock in the morning. And, uh, but she would wake up. And so one day I said to her, I'm going to put a door there. I've never, put in, I've never installed a door, but I'm going to put a door in that space. And she said, babe, don't do it. Wait till we can afford to hire somebody. I said, we can't and I'm going to do it. So when she was gone later that evening... I went out in the garage and I grabbed my hammer. And I walked up to that wall that was there and I just started beating the pudding out of that wall until there was no more sheetrock on that wall. She came home, she said, what are you doing? I said, I'm committed. I'm now committed. And you know what I did? I put in a pocket door and separated that thing, put a new floor in the bathroom and that was my first home construction job. Thank you. <laughs> We've done a lot since, but that was, that was the first. But, you know, you got to be committed, and I was committed. So let me jump in because it's in my heart. I really want to jump into this message, but I want to apologize to you first. If you were here last week and we did the food trucks, we did that last week, and some of you waited over an hour for the food trucks, that was the first time that we have done that. And I can tell you it was a learning experience. I want to apologize to you for having to wait in the heat. Uh, we were learning. Um, I think we've adjusted well so that this month it's going to be a much, much different experience. But it was important for me to let you know that that's on me, okay? You can't be upset with any, not that you are, but if you were upset with anybody else, it's, it's my fault. 
I'm the one that is responsible for all of that, but I want you to know that I apologize for that because we didn't know what the outcome would be, and that we had over 200 people hitting those food trucks last week. And uh, so it was a, an onslaught uh, to those two trucks. So we will never have only two trucks again. So this month we have done something very different. We've prepared ahead and we're already working on it. Kaylee's already working on making sure. In fact, we're even going to have a dessert truck um, that will be there this month. That uh, What is it called? Where's Kaylee? What, what's that truck called? It's um, gelato. Have you ever had gelato? Oh, I want a gelato right now. I want a gelato gelato. And, uh, but yeah, it's wonderful. So we're going to, so I apologize for that. And, um, but thank you for your patience. You were, uh, you were incredible. I mean, just your response. I mean, I was apologizing to you in the line last week and everybody was like, Hey, you know, it's, it's worth it. We're part of the rock. It's worth it. It's worth it. I don't want, I don't want part of your experience to be, we wait in line for over an hour and, um, unless it's for service and because so many people are standing outside trying to get in. All right. Are you ready this morning? Are you ready? Everybody say expectation. Say it again. Say expectation. expectation. Now turn to the person beside you, if there's someone beside you, and ask them this question. Say, did you come expecting today? today? Don't answer. Don't. You can, but don't. Everyone's answer would be different, but expectation. This is what Holy Spirit put in my heart today in this revival message that I'm teaching. I, you know, it's, I'm going to call it a series because we, we did it last week, um, but when we concluded last week, this is something that just continued to mull over in my spirit was this word expectation without even realizing or knowing at the time what he was trying to say to me about that. But I want to jump right in with this and I want to teach this morning on this particular word and I want to teach what does it mean to expect? What does it mean? Mean. Before I can get there, I want to ask you a question, and if you choose to, um, I would love for you to follow along in the app. You can download the app. If you've not done it already, you can click on today's message and, or to take notes, and on that take notes tab, you'll find everything that I'm about, most of the notes that I have here outside of the things that I put in there randomly. Uh, but I want to ask you this question to start today. Is prosperity a real message or a counterfeit of the truth? Is the message of prosperity a real message or a counterfeit of the truth? That's the first question. Second question is, what in the world does that have to do with expectation? Well, two things. One, you cannot prosper without expectation. You cannot. You cannot. Without an expectation, because what expectation does in us, and I'm just going to throw these thoughts in there, but what expectation creates in you and me, it creates in us a passion for something more. If I have an expectation for whatever it might be, then I have a passion for that, and I'm going to begin to adjust some things so that I can realize that expectation, so that that expectation will come into reality. But is prosperity a real message or is it a counterfeit of the truth? Let's talk about that this morning. So, does Yahweh want you, does God want you to be, if you don't know, Yahweh is the Hebrew name of God. But I'm going to ask you this question and you tell me, and I want you to answer out loud. Does Yahweh want everyone in this room to be poor? Can we be a little more confident about that? Does God want anybody in this room to be poor? Does he want anybody in his kingdom to be poor? Okay, does he want you to be sick? Does he want you to suffer? No. Does he want you to be lonely? No. 
No. What does he want? He wants you to prosper in all things. So while we as a people or within the church world, and I've heard a lot of people say it, and many, many, many people will say it, is they are tired. In fact, I heard it this week. Uh, someone said, you know, it's the gospel is not about prosperity. It is not about prospering. And, and what preachers do is they make it about prosperity. And my response to them was, it has everything to do with prospering. The gospel has everything to do with prospering. The problem is the way we define prosperity isn't the way God defines prosperity. So if I believe that prospering is my way and I don't understand what his way is for prospering, then there is a problem. Then there's a problem. So those who reject the gospel of prosperity or the message of prosperity, those who reject that message, let me say this and make it very clear, also reject the heart of God. You cannot reject prosperity and at the same time say, I'm, I want what God wants. Can I say that again? You cannot reject the message of prosperity and at the same time with the same mouth and the same sentence say, I want what God wants. It's not possible. Because I can tell you above all things what God wants is for you to and what? He wants you to He wants you to even as your It's amazing to me that he joins those two things together. If your soul's prospering, so will your life. Your soul prospers because you're in right relationship with God because you want what He wants. How many want what God wants? How many don't care? Scott, did you raise your hand? <laughs> so those who reject the message of prosperity at the same time are rejecting God. They're rejecting what He wants. But this is what we need to understand. At first glance... These questions, does God want you to be poor? Does God want you to be sick? Does he want you to be lonely? Does he want you to whatever? We throw those out there. At first glance, these questions render exactly that, a common answer, but the answer that we get is not common. The first answer is, no, God doesn't want us to be this. No, God doesn't want us to be that. No, God doesn't. But if I put on there, what I wrote was, does God want you to be poor? We all said no. But if I change that, to say the same thing with a different word, does God want you to be rich? Same question. Suddenly, no. But yet God wants us to prosper in all things just as our soul prospers. As my soul prospers in Him, He wants to increase who I am. Now, understand, I'm getting somewhere with this. Your mind right now is settled on a few things. Your mind is settled on money. Your mind might be settled on not being sick in body. Your mind might be settled on not suffering in spirit or in, in just, just through life. 
or being lonely because you don't have a husband or a wife or children or whatever it might be, being lonely or you don't have a lot of friends, you might settle on that. But is that what he's talking about? He said, I want you to prosper in all things even as your soul prospers, but that you're going to prosper in all things for a second after I prosper you in your soul. So again, I go back to that, does God want you to be poor? No. Does God want you to be rich? And everybody would say, no, normally. That would be the common answer. But the answer is yes, because if we equate rich with money, if we, re- if we equate that with something that's natural, then we miss the point. Because God really doesn't care about money. What He cares about is obedience. Even when I receive the tithe and offering that I'll be doing after I finish this word today, when I receive the tithe and offering, it's not about money. When most people say, well, the preacher gets up and takes up money, and I don't know, first of all, we don't take anything here. But when they say that, there's this sense of, man, they make it all about money. It's not about money. It's about obedience. It's about trust. What the Father wants to know is, do you trust Him? And do you trust Him with the thing that you hold the tightest to you? I mean, there are people who love their money more than they love their husband and wife. They would fight harder for their finance than they would fight for their relationship. Am I talking to anybody? Don't say, don't agree. Just be quiet. I rescind that question. That's right. That's right. Yeah, see? And there it is. Demonstration. But does God want you to be rich? Yeah, are we talking about money? No, we're not talking about money. What God God wants is you to be rich in spirit. He wants you to be rich in passion. Will money follow that? Maybe it will for some. Maybe it won't for others. It's not about the money. It's about the attitude. And it's about trust. Again, tithe isn't about bringing my money. I'm bringing my money to the church. If you're ever doing that, you're just bringing money. You're never going to see the blessing in that. But I trust God with this, so I'm putting seed in trustworthy soil. And I'm going to watch God do something miraculous with that seed that I trust God with. But if you're bringing seed and you don't trust God, that's on you. But if you bring seed and you trust God, that's on Him. Put the burden on the Father. So at first glance, these questions, you know, they get that same answer, you know, the natural response. But poor means more than money. Sick means more than fever. And suffer means more than pain and loss. It means more than that. So does God want us to prosper? Absolutely he wants us to prosper. And how does he want us to prosper? Let's read, out of, let's read Isaiah chapter 9 verse 7. It says, Of the increase of his government and of his peace there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Let me point something out in this particular scripture. When you look at that uh, scripture on the board back here, if you're watching or reading on your, in your Bible here or online, when you see that word Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, that is in the Hebrew text, that is the Tetragrammaton. That is Y-H-W-H. That is the Hebrew name of God. Lord is not in the original text. It is the name of God. Reading like this, the zeal of Yahweh will do this thing. Hear me. Does God want you to prosper? He's all about prosperity. 
He's all about an ever-increasing kingdom. And the best way to increase the kingdom is to increase his sons and his daughters. And he said, the zeal of Yahweh will perform this. Now here, let me ask you this. When it says, if we're not careful again, and I'm getting somewhere with all this, but if I say, the put that uh, back up there, please. Where it says, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. First of all, everybody say that. The zeal, the zeal of, Yahweh of Yahweh will do this thing. Man, that sounds so good. Let's say it again. The zeal, the zeal of, God of God will do this thing. Will do this thing. He, will he will prosper the heavens and the earth. Heavens and the earth. He, will he will prosper me. Mm -hmm. Do you believe that this morning? Yes. Now, let me point something out. It says the zeal of the Lord. Now, that word zeal, when we read this at face value and we say the zeal of the Lord, we think that it's God's zeal. God's zeal will create an ever-increasing kingdom. Because God is zealous, zeal, simply put, is passion that cannot be quenched. You go from passion to zeal. So when we read this at face value, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this thing. In our mind, we're thinking it's the zeal of God, but it's not. The Father doesn't need zeal. He needs you to have zeal. So if you possess the zeal of Yahweh, He can do this thing that He is saying He will do. I won't quote it, but I'll reference it. In Scripture, we know that if you and I do not lift up our voice, if we do not honor, if we do not worship Him, if we do not cry out to the Father, then the rocks will do that in our place. Is that not true? Yes. We know that if it is not us, then He will find a substitute because the Father wants to increase. He wants to prosper all of the kingdom of God, all of the earth. He wants to prosper all of the earth. And if He will not find you and I to do it, if He will not find zeal in us, if his zeal is absent in us, he will impart zeal into the rocks around us, into an inanimate object. Sometimes to prosper, one must first be awakened and reminded of who they are. See, because this is what happens. When we begin to get into a place in our life, any of us, we get into a place in our life and, and we feel like nothing's coming together. Under the sound of my voice, it is probably true right now. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. Please don't. But under the sound of my voice today, there are people here today, you feel like, mm, I'm just barely making it. I'm just doing the very best that I can to keep walking. Come on. I feel dull. I feel dead. I feel lost. I feel uncertain. I feel like I have no hope. I feel like all my dreams are never going to come to pass. I feel like all of this is going on and I feel like nothing is happening. Nothing's changing. I don't see prosperity in my life anywhere. I see none of this. I'm going to tell you what changes that is the zeal of the Lord of hosts. When we begin to shift our attention away from what I'm missing and to what I have access to. He can begin to build us up, heal us. Prosper us in our body. Yes. Cause us to see. Prosper us in our vision. 
prosper us in our relationships, prosper us in every area of our life. He can begin to build us up when the zeal of the Lord of hosts is present here. So instead of us focusing on this is where I'm at, oh, woe is me, woe is me, this is, this is just, you know, you just don't understand. If you knew where I was, you wouldn't even want to preach this message because you would feel sorry for me. I don't. No matter how awful your story is, I have no sympathy for you. Not if you're a believer today. I don't even have compassion. What I have is a word. What I have is truth. Compassion won't change you. Sympathy won't heal you. But truth will change everything. Everything. So sometimes to prosper, one must first be awakened. We've got to come awake. We've got to be awakened. We've got to be reminded again. Man, how did I get off course? How did I shift? I remember the day when, man, I got up in the morning and all I could think about was, God, I want to praise you, Yahweh, your faithful, Holy Ghost of God. Thank you for all you're doing in my life. I'm so thankful that Jesus Christ delivered me and set me free. And then suddenly one day you got up and you realized... I feel hopeless, I feel lost, I feel disconnected, I feel empty, I feel deplorable, I feel unaccepted, I feel all of these things, I feel like my dreams are gone, I don't even know what I, if I even want to get out of bed today, there's a silent suicide that people live in when they cover their heads with their blankets and say, I don't want to get out of bed. They don't take their own life in the, in the natural, but they take their own life by the Spirit. And there are so many that are dead among us today only because what once was the life, they had the zeal of the Lord present in them and then they came to a place where suddenly they had given up and then they begin to reflect. And the moment that any of us begin to reflect on those things that we're missing or that have been lost or that have been stolen or we've been cheated out of or we've given up or we violated whatever it might be, the moment we begin to focus on those things, the zeal of the, zeal of the Lord is like... <laughs> because He can't dwell in that. Somebody needs to hear what I'm telling you this morning. He can't dwell in that. I'm, I want to awaken you this morning. Wake up! <laughs> Arise, sons and daughters of God. Open your eyes. Be reminded again, the zeal of the Lord will do exactly what the zeal of the Lord was sent to do. And I want to tell you something. There is nobody living, breathing air today that is absent the zeal of the Lord because when He breathed His breath into you, all of who He was encompassed you. Whew. Whew. See, part of the issue is we are innately selfish people. <laughs> Sherry, do you have a few examples you want? <laughs> but we are innately, we are selfish people. It's about us. We make it about us. Even if we say we're not selfish, innately, we are selfish people. I want to read to you out of 2 Timothy chapter 4. It says this, it says, For the time is coming when people will not. Everybody say, will not. Endure sound teaching. You don't have to say that. 
But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. I can't even tell you how many people I've sat with over time, over our years, years, years. How many people I've sat with and they say, well, the teacher, the guy said this or the lady said that or they did this or they did that. In my mind, I'm thinking, that's a great word. But they're like, I couldn't sit there anymore. I couldn't deal with it anymore. I had to get out of there because that's not me. And I'm sitting there thinking, I know you. That is all. They described you perfectly. (laughs) The best person to ask what you really like is the person that doesn't like you. Somebody said they got a long list. Well, then you'll get a really full book of of helps. (laughs) Let me read it again. 2 Timothy 4 says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. They will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. This is what I said. To, I preached this many years ago, and I'm gonna, I'll say it again right now. And a lot of you in this room or under the sound of my voice have never heard this because some of you are watching online, and I don't know who you are. Um, some of you are in this room. You're relatively new here. But I will say this about uh, this whole thing. I've said for years, or used to say it all the time. I haven't for a while. But I used to say this all the time. said, stop listening to every preacher on podcasts. You're going to so many different wells to try to hear the truth. That it doesn't mix well. Stop going to this and listening to that one and going to this one and going to that guy's place and this guy's place and traveling here and traveling there. What you need to do is say, Holy Spirit, where's home? Because what God has done is put in the mouth of whoever that man is or whoever that woman is a message and a word that will change your life. And the minute you try to violate that, I want to tell you all hell breaks loose in your life. Suddenly, you're no longer happy, even if you try to pretend to be. Suddenly, you're no longer filled. Suddenly, you're sick and you're poor and you're lonely and you're lost. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. Why should I? I can go anywhere I want. There are a thousand churches in the neighborhood. Be anywhere I want. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers that will suit their own passions and they will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Selfish living does not lead to a God-honoring life. Say that with me. Selfish living. living. In fact, I want you to look at somebody and tell them. I want you to say it. Squint your eyes when you say it. Say, selfish living living. does not lead lead. to a God-honoring life. I was sharing with somebody this, this uh, recently. I met with someone uh, locally here, and I, as I was talking to them, uh, we were, I was getting to know them. I didn't know them until, I, until this particular meeting. And I was getting to know them, and we were talking, and, and I said to him, he continued to call me pastor, 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 Steve, pastor, pastor. What, kept saying pastor, pastor, pastor. And, and if you don't know me, you know that I'm not a big, I'm not, a, I'm not, not only am I not a big title guy, I just don't like him. And... Um, and, he's, and I said, listen, I said, just please call me Steve. And I know that was an adjustment even in our house because for years and years and years, everybody called me and had a title for me. It was, adjustment for, it was an adjustment for me, even though I knew it was a word. And man, the fruit of that shift, at least for me, has been phenomenal. My relationship with you grew tenfold the day I no longer felt like you held me at arm's length because he's the preacher. 
Man, I love that, man, we can butt shoulders, even have a good argument every now and then. It's wonderful. It's liberating. So anyway, we were having this conversation, and he kept referring to me. Super nice. I loved it. I loved it. But he kept saying, Pastor Steve, Pastor, Pastor. And I said, listen, I said, Would you, could you please just call me Steve? I like Steve. I like it. And I said, you know, recently I told him I preached the message, and I shared, and it's been years ago, but shared about removing the titles. And he said, I could not do that. I cannot do that. He said, out of respect. He said, you know, my culture, our culture is that we always, that that title has to follow suit, you know, that... Um, for me to call you Steve and not put pastor in front of that would be to disrespect you. And I said, well, there's a couple of things here that I want to point out. First of all, I want you to understand the difference between respect and honor. And I said, now I'm going to start and I'm going to ask you this question. I said, what do you call your wife? And he told me what her name was. And I said, and I knew he had a child. I said, what do you call your son? And he told me what his son's name was. I said, you call them by their first name, but you choose to call me by a title. Do you think it's right that you respect me more than them? So you can call them by their first name, but you feel you have to call me by a title. They're worthy of more respect, as you use it, than me. You live with them. I said, so let me share with you the difference between respect and honor. And I said to him, I said, respect is something that can be required. Respect is what is required. Military, think of a thousand ways. Respect is what is required, but honor can only be offered without requirement. Honor is to give somebody something that is not required, but in your life is deserved. So I said, for me, while it is your culture, does it make your culture right? In fact, it is the very nature of culture that we're trying to change. What we want to do is shift from having a culture that is identified by a particular region and create, merge all of that together into a culture that is identified by the kingdom of God. So it's no longer my culture here, your culture there. It's no longer white culture, black culture, Hispanic culture, whatever, all the culture. It's no longer that, but it is this is the culture of the kingdom. Of God. So I said, the difference is that. That is respect. So I said, I would ask. I can't impose anything on you. And he said, oh, I don't think I can do that. And I said, I can't impose anything on you. You do what you must. But I want you to know, it's, to me, it's honor to simply call me Steve. And he's not there. He couldn't do it. And that's okay. I'm hoping that one day he will be able to do that. But he'll do it in his time. Why am I saying all this? And ultimately, we innately, innately, we are selfish people. And what the Father wants to do is awaken us. He wants to, in light of the term revival, he wants to awaken us. He wants to revive us back to the place where he can do something miraculous with us. He wants to awaken us to the place where we can again begin to become, begin to be, or once again, do what should be in us, change the earth for His glory. For His glory. So revive us, not so that I'm healed and I can see in the natural, not so that I prosper in uh, finance, not so that I prosper in relationships singularly, but Father, revive me so that I'm prosperous in You and let all those other things be added to that. But our selfish nature 
Our selfish nature hinders us so much from getting past where we are. I challenge you to do this today. When you walk out of here, ask yourself where all those low places are in your life. You probably won't have to ask. You probably have it memorized because you remind yourself every day how bad life is. I just wish this wasn't like this. I just wish this didn't happen or I wish I had this. And, and every day you remind yourself what you wish you had, where you wish you were, what you would hope was going on in your life. What, this would come to an end or that would start. Every day you remind yourself so you don't have to give a lot of thought. But now what if you change that? I challenge you today to walk out of this place or before you walk out of this place, I'm going to give you opportunity to stand in the front this morning. I'm going to lay hands on you and I'm going to break that loathsome, sorry, sad but spirit in you so that you can walk out of here and you can say, I've changed my perspective. I'm being revived and I'm being awakened. I'm coming again, not into my own, but I'm coming into his own, into his purpose. Do you hear me this morning? So let me hit Hosea here. Breaking Bad, Reviving Good. Everybody say, Breaking Bad. I've never seen the show. Have no idea what the... Have no idea. Breaking Bad, Reviving Good. Say it again. Breaking Bad. Breaking reviving Good. That's what I love about God. He's so cool. Hosea 6, verses 1 through 3. says, Come and let us return to the Lord. For He has torn us. <laughs> this is powerful, man. This is like, man... Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us so that he could heal us. Man, suck on that for a second. He has torn us that he may heal us. He has struck us down so that he could build us up. After two days, he will revive us. And on the third day, he will raise us up that we may live before him. Let us know. Let us press on. Everybody say, let me press on. To know the Lord. Thank you. His going out is sure as the dawn. And he will come to us as the showers. Everybody say, he will come to us. Let us return to the Lord. He will come to us. As the showers and as the spring rains that water the earth. But you go back one chapter to Hosea chapter 5 the last verse of the chapter 5 and it says this it says I will return again to my place until one of my favorite words second favorite word in the English language first one Sinner. well said <laughs> I will return again to my place until I will return again to my place Give me a little bit more. Mm. I will return to my place. Until. They acknowledge their guilt and seek my face. He said, in other words, I'm going to move aside. I'm getting out of the way because they're a selfish lot. Man, they're focused on all their shortcomings. We focus on shortcomings when we don't believe that there's possibility for a long coming. We focus on loss when we don't believe that there's any place for resurrection. 
He said, I will return again to my place until, until they acknowledge their guilt, seek my face, and in their distress, in their selfish moment, in their moment of, I can't think of anything else except for what I don't have. I can't think of anything else except for where I'm not. I can't think of anything else except for what I lack. All I can do is think about how uh, uh, short I've come up on all these different things. And the Father says, when they get past that, when they get into that place and they get so deeply into that place they can't see anything else, He said, then they begin to seek Me and it's at that time that I will move from being aside and move to being among. I'm going to tell you today, the Father wants to get from that side place to that among you place. He wants to get from that place over here to that place in here. Is anybody hearing what I'm saying this morning? Let us return to the Lord, for He has torn us. Now, somebody might say, why would God do that? I'm going to tell you this. All throughout Scripture, all throughout Scripture, whether it's the First Testament or the Second Testament, I can tell you throughout Scripture what you're going to find is what the Father will do from time to time is He does things in our life that will find out exactly what's in us. He gave Israel the law knowing that they could not keep it so that they would come to the place where they had to acknowledge we're incapable without you. We need you. All throughout Scripture, there's opportunity. And I can tell you more than that. What's, what's more significant than even what I can refer to in Scripture, what's more significant is what He's done in your life. What yes. has He allowed to go on in your life until you get to the place where in your loneliness, in your sickness, and in your weakness, you earnestly seek Him. When we look around the earth today, we watch the news, we go outside, we go to the store, we watch on... Look at the billboards wherever you go, everywhere you see. There's loneliness. There's loss. There's uncertainty. There's evil all around us. I'm telling you, the world is in a place today. The only answer, it's the same answer today as it's always been. But there is a rising tide coming. And you know where that starts? When we return to Him. And he said, if you will return to me, I will come to you. You might say, I've never left him. Well, let me just say this. Again, I ask the question, do you feel hopeless? Do you get up in the morning and your thoughts are what you, on what you don't have, where you wish you were, what you want to be? Instead of on, Father, today I put my trust in you. And you know what I'm going to do today? I'm going to go out there and I'm going to go to work. And I'm going to work as hard as I can and I'm going to demonstrate the same spirit of Joseph, I'm going to be the best one in that office. When my wife wakes up, I'm going to bless her. My words are going to be peace and blessing. My husband, my children. You know what? I'm not going to focus, Father, on those things that seem like I'm, are absent in my life. I'm not making it about me. He said, if you will return to him, he will come to you. Father, today revive us. Revive us in our mind, revive us in our spirit, revive us in our bodies, revive us in our soul. Father, revive us. Awaken us today. Awaken us today. Until our heart is after what you're after. Until there is a zeal, the zeal of the Lord is present in me, is present in us. Stand with me if you wouldn't put your hands on yourself and say, Father, revive me until your zeal is present in me. 
Father, I lift up my voice over the people that are gathered here this morning, the people that are watching online today. I lift up my voice over those that are listening. However they might come in contact with this service, however it might come into their ears, I know that there's people under the sound of my voice that are lost. I know that there are people under the sound of my voice. They may be very present in you, but they've lost sight of the passion, the zeal for you. They've grown comfortable and complacent in you, but the zeal is gone. So in the middle of all of that, there's a sense of loss. There's no prosperity going on in their lives. Father, today I pray that you'll prosper every single person on the sound of my voice. Prosper them. May the kingdom of God be ever, ever increasing. That's prosperity. He's not the God of lack. He did not say, let my kingdom ever suffer. Let my kingdom be forever in pain. He did not say, let my kingdom forever be one of loss. He said, my kingdom is an ever-increasing kingdom. It's a kingdom in which those who find themselves will find themselves prospering as well because they have the zeal of the Lord present in them. What does revival look like? To me, revival doesn't look like what goes on in large numbers. Revival is what goes on in the hidden places where you find yourself throughout your day. Revival is what's going to happen in your heart. Revival is going to happen when your message is heard. Again this week, and I'll say this very quickly, but again this week I was sitting in a, at a coffee spot with someone and I, we were talking, we were just sharing. And I was sharing, he was sharing with me, I was sharing with him. It was a wonderful conversation and I was talking to him about just some things related, just things related to the kingdom. In the middle of all of that, we get up, we finish our conversation, I'm leaving, and as I'm leaving, and I don't see them here today, but as I'm leaving, I'm walking out of the coffee shop, and it was outside, and we were sitting outside, and, and I'm walking by, and there were two ladies sitting at a table, and the lady said, Sir, can I ask you something? And I said, Yeah. She said, Are you a preacher? And I said, I am. And they were sitting a table, two t actually two tables over from us. It's interesting. And um, she said, are you a preacher? I said, I am. And she said, what church? And I told her. She said, where is it? And I told her. And she said, I could not help but hear the things that you were saying. Could not help but hear the conversation you and the other man were having. She told me where she came from. And she told me what that experience, she didn't tell me the name of the church, she just told me the particular denomination she was a part of. And she told me how that particular place in her created a sense of death, a sense of loss, a sense of nothingness. It was all about dying, not living, were her words. And I can tell you that I asked her, I said, why don't you come and visit us? And she said that they would. I don't see her among us today. Maybe she's watching online. I hope that you are, and I hope you'll come, and everyone can meet you. I think her name was Esmeralda. But I said to the team this morning as I was sharing with them this story, I said, and this is the kingdom. I said, we need to find ourselves in coffee shops talking more about the kingdom than we are talking about the last football game talking more about the kingdom than we find ourselves talking about the rise and fall of the stock market.
talking more about the kingdom than we find ourselves talking about whether the next president will be Donald Trump or Ron DeSantis or Joe Biden or whoever it might be. But we sit among ourselves and there's so much kingdom in us. There's so much zeal of the Lord of hosts in us that is coming out of us. Obviously, that's not all you're going to talk about. But it should be in there. So if the kingdom of God is ever increasing, it doesn't increase. If the resource that was sent to increase it is empty. It increases because the resource that was sent to increase it is full of the zeal of the Lord. And we are that resource. You and me. We are that resource. So today, I lift my voice, Father, over this people. And I want to lay hands on them. Those who will allow me, I want to lay hands on them today. And I ask that as I lay my hands on each one, and I pray for each one, I pray today that whatever's lacking, Father, whatever selfishness might be present, even if we did not before today describe it that way, if our focus has been on lack, our focus has been on loss, our focus has been on anything that's contrary to your message of prospering and what you mean by it, if it's been lacking. Father, today I lift my voice over these and I'm going to lay my hands on their head and I'm going to declare today that your truth, your truth rules in their life. Your truth sets the captive free. Your truth delivers the oppressed. Your truth causes he or she with loss to find that that you promised them again so that you are glorified. Amen.